Welcome to a bonus edition of the Talent Economy Podcast, where we will hear firsthand from families, educators, executives, and more about their experiences in embracing remote work in their daily lives. Everyone's in this together right now, and it's, it's a weird spot to be in. We still need to hire people. We still need to bring folks in. And how do we do that when we can't actually use our traditional channels? Dad's on a call, and friends are here, we can't go upstairs. A lot of companies have face-to-face video cameras. We don't have a lot of that, so it becomes a little more challenging working in a virtual environment. In many ways, it feels like we blinked, and suddenly the future of work is now. What happens when people have to suddenly work virtually? How quickly can they adapt? And what is the long-term impact on the way they work and live? These stories will help us understand how the current environment will create a new normal in the way we get work done. Hey, my name is Keith Keating. I work for a Fortune 500 company out of Detroit, Michigan. I am a lifelong learning and development professional by trade, although I would describe myself as problem solver, and a workforce futurist. Those are a lot of very interesting things. But but before we get into what you do, how are you doing with everything going on? It ebbs and flows. I mean, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for everyone. And in some ways, it's a beautiful experience because we are all experiencing this together. It's a collective global disaster that, that none of us have experienced before, especially in this manner. And as much as in some ways it's bringing us together, each of us have our own unique experiences. And I think there's, there's some beauty in that individuality and that collectiveness. Uh, For me, it's a daily battle of, am I going to be productive today? Am I going to give myself permission to not feel okay and to grieve for what I'm going through, for what the world is going through? The answer is today is good. Today is good. I'm glad I was able to catch you on a good day. Yeah, I, a good day. <laughs> I look, I experienced the same, especially with the entire family being in the house and trying to explain it, what's going on to, to little girls. It's definitely been a, a challenging experience. I want to move into the way you were working three months ago as compared to how work is getting done where you are today around learning and development? What's changed? I think everything has changed. You know, for me, my passion is around the future of work and helping to liberate, empower, encourage the workforce to take control over their future and and to plan and prepare for the age of automation and robotics and technologies. And so we have collectively been arbitrarily picking this date of you know 2030 or 2025 we tend to pick these date ranges based on their their aesthetic look or sound and we've been preparing people and everything that we've talked about or at least the majority of what we've talked about has come to fruition overnight and in many ways the world and, and, and our industry learn development has not been prepared for it to happen so quickly to have this accelerated transformation. I think um, if we just break down one component of learning development, whether it's instructor-led or whether it's web-based, overnight we've moved to this virtual learning from either corporate learning and development to universities to higher education, high school, middle school. Every aspect of school is now virtual and remote. 
I've got a kindergartner who's now doing Microsoft team calls once a day. And the first grade teacher who I actually interviewed on one of these podcasts, we were hanging out last night. He was saying he's he does individual now Zoom calls with with everyone in his class. And, and I asked him, I said, well, how is that virtual experience going? And, and I think the thing that you said was so powerful at the beginning is he goes, there's times I find it magical where this virtual thing is really one on one with students and stuff. And there's times I find it terrible. <laughs> and he goes, I ebb and flow like by the minute as I go through this new shift to being completely virtual. It's completely shocked our learning ecosystem, even as someone who has been in the field for 20 years, and I know how virtual learning works, and I, I consider myself an expert in that area, I, I, I'm not ready. None of us are ready. I mean, you've got every educator who's now all of a sudden a virtual educator, and it's not the same. The way that you design your courses, the way that you engage the learners, it's not just a lift and shift of your instructor-led in classroom training. There has to be specific thought put into the time that you are in these sessions, how you're engaging the participants, what it is that they're learning. And so I think that's part of the struggle right now is, is that shift. But beyond just the learning capacity, I mean, you've got everything else that people are dealing with at home. You've got parents who are trying to do their job now remote, but they're not only working remote, they're also now educators and they're having to help their kids figure out how to work remote. We're living in new confined spaces with coworkers that are family members. So it's trying to juggle all of that. I think it would be a little bit more palpable if it was just the virtual learning that we were trying to focus on, but literally our lives overnight have gone virtual. So that that makes it even that much more complicated. Yeah, I say I need to update my LinkedIn and put uh, homeschool principal, homeschool janitor, <laughs> and cafeteria worker because those have kind of been my my responsibilities. My wife is working on the lesson plans and stuff, and so we're we're definitely tag teaming. But we are we're gaining new skills. If you look back a couple of months ago at virtual learning. One of the things you said that resonated with me was like, we are now have, have moved all virtual. It's not some virtual, some classroom. What were two or three of the specific main challenges with virtual learning? In terms of where it was before our new normal? Just in general, you know, when you were in this space, because you are an expert in, in L&D, what were the challenges that people struggled with when they were trying to do virtual learning before today? The engagement model, how to keep your learners engaged and active rather than death by PowerPoint. And I think that some of that holds true even in instructor-led. And I can speak from current experiences. I'm currently a doctoral student and spend time both in classroom and virtually as a student and as a teacher and educator. I think the, the answer is the engagement model and the time spent in the sessions so, for example, if you have an eight-hour instructor-led session, which I think is, is way too long, you would not lift and shift that into an eight-hour virtual instructor-led. There has to be specific time constraints put in. You've got to be more cognizant of how long individuals are sitting there. You've got to make proper use of the chat rooms to keep learners engaged. And I would say that as a learner, one thing that I have loved 
that I've seen the transition the past few weeks is the use of online chats at work. Specifically, we've used Skype and we've used Teams for meetings, but rarely have I ever seen the chat function used. And the same in class. And I think now that's part of this, this new normal is that all of us are familiar in using the chats. So it's helping to keep that engagement level high in the virtual setting. Let's say I was at a corporation and I wanted to make sure, you know, my remit was to make sure that the workforce knew what was coming. I inspired a sense of curiosity. I provided some learning opportunities so they could continue to reskill and stay relevant throughout the course of their career, continuing to provide value. If I'm one of those people in an L&D department, or I'm even a manager, what advice would you give me as we make this sudden shift to virtual? Not to overshare. There, there's so much information that's out there right now. And that's one of the pitfalls, I think, for organizations is all, all looking to create either training or information communications rather than curating, either leveraging what already exists rather than creating new models, new information. And I think additionally, what, what I'm trying to communicate to um, our leaders is right now we should be on a need-to-know basis. Share the information that we absolutely need to know to either get the job done, to continue with business continuity, to help keep our learners engaged and evolving, rather than a lot of the, the nice-to-haves, that makes sense. Tell me more. Tell me what a, like what would be considered a nice-to-have. I think right now what we're, what we're looking at is how do we work successfully in a remote environment? How do we adapt the skills that we need to be focusing on right now, helping our workforce be familiar with um, resiliency, agility, problem solving, uh, the higher order cognitive skills. These are the areas that are the important areas we need to be focusing on rather than um, maybe other skills like using software that may not be uh, required right now. One of the things that I've been really impressed with is the need to communicate with vulnerability. Everybody's experience is different. Some people have entire families in their house. Some people are alone. And the idea that everybody is going through this is one of the things that you communicate with great vulnerability, you know, your experience. And and I think that's helpful. Are you... As it comes to learning, seeing more and more leaders or encouraging your leaders to embrace that type of communication in this moment versus structured corporate mandates? Absolutely. I'm very passionate about this. And I, I, I think that we're starting to see a small transition, but not a big enough transition. For me, the role of CEO should now stand for chief empathy officer. And it should be the focus of the CEOs right now to be looking at their people. At the end of the day, people are your greatest assets for your organization. Uh, without your talent, your business doesn't exist. As you've said, each of us are experiencing this individually. There is no baseline assumption for how we are feeling, what we should be doing, how we should be reacting. And I think we need to take this opportunity to embrace the discussion around mental health. I grew up uh, overseas for a majority of my life and didn't move to the U.S. until late teens. And I remember the masculinity that I felt that the U.S. part of that culture. And I think that resonates 
today still, especially when it comes to mental health and depression and anxiety and sadness. And right now we are experiencing a collective disaster together. And, and we're referring to it as a novel coronavirus, novel in the sense is that this is new, this is unprecedented. And we have to be having the discussion that keeps that door open for us as workers or as humans to be able to say, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. This is not normal. What I'm experiencing is not normal for me. I, I probably cry maybe once a day, maybe every other day. And it doesn't have to be for anything specific. It could be for an article I'm reading about how organizations or employees are pivoting and they're helping each other. Or it could be sadness for the number of deaths that we're having around the world or just grieving the way that organizations or rather government is behaving or not behaving. And sometimes I don't know why. I just I just want to cry and I want to be able to talk about that. And for me, I don't feel like that's embraced in our culture. And something that I specifically I heard a couple of weeks ago that has resonated with me that's helped is that what we're dealing with right now, think of it not as what we've lost or not as what this has done to us, but think about what this makes possible for us. And I wrote that down and it's, it's, it's on a post-it note in front of my laptop. And when I'm feeling that grief or that sadness, I think about, I think about that and I try to reposition what I'm feeling and, and looking at it in more of a bit of a hopeful lens. But at the same time, we can't be hopeful every moment and we need to be okay to say we're not okay. That's powerful. I've, I've seen where I live, more and more families out walking and more people reaching out and connecting where we didn't have time to connect mm-hmm. before. And I, and I think that checking in on people and checking in on yourself or, is important. And I think from a mental health perspective, those are lessons that we can carry with us going forward that are, that are very helpful. Keith, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. If there's someone who's listening to this and just wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to, to get in touch? LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, post a lot, respond a lot, and and would definitely welcome and love to continue this or any conversation on LinkedIn. And one thing I would also say is um, if you're not okay, if you are at home and you don't have anyone to reach out to, reach out to me. I would be happy to and would love to continue having conversations to stay connected. Thank you so much, Keith. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to this bonus edition of the Talent Economy Podcast, exploring real stories from real people during this time of unprecedented change. You can hear more insights by subscribing to our podcast or checking out the website, staffing.com, where you can sign up for the weekly newsletter. If you or someone you know would like to share their remote work story, please send me an email at editor at staffing.com. We want to hear from you. 